Hey folks, this is Michael, and welcome to Tatter. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a heads up that this episode does include potentially objectionable language. I wanted to let you know that for your sake, and also, in case you are listening in the presence of other people, I wanted you to have a chance to put on headphones. Finally, unless they say otherwise, each person in this episode is speaking for themselves and themselves alone. With all that said, here's Tatter. I am still, the more I've sat here and listened to the fact that somebody used the N-word on this show, it is not okay. The voice you just heard was that of CNN anchor Brooke Baldwin, and the clip was from a 2016 broadcast. During that show, one of her guests was Charles Kaiser, a critic of then-presidential candidate Donald Trump. Kaiser criticized Trump for keeping on an advisor who allegedly had used the N-word. But Kaiser didn't use this euphemism. He actually uttered the word nigger on the air. And Baldwin, as you heard, objected. This exchange was a reminder that this word and other slurs have real force and can prompt strong objections when spoken. But what makes a slur a slur? Are they inevitably derogatory, or can the targeted groups effectively reclaim them? Even though Baldwin said that Kaiser used the N-word, why might I say he didn't? And finally, what's at stake in the study of such slurs? I had a chance to discuss these questions and related ones in a recent conversation with my colleague and friend, philosopher Lauren Ashwell. We talked over drinks and over an audio recorder, and she's permitted me to share the bulk of that conversation in this episode titled Slurred Speech. Well, hello, Lauren. Good morning. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for letting me come over to record. And um, even though you did not uh, uh, insist upon it, I came bearing a gift. Um, <laughs> and that gift is a bottle of Maker's Mark, which we are enjoying. I will not say what time of day, but cheers. Cheers. That's tasty. Uh, we're both enjoying Maker's Mark neat. And uh, even though I'm not going to say what time this interview is occurring, this is the earliest in the day I've ever had alcohol. Uh, so... I'm not certain that it is the earliest in the day that I've had alcohol. Are you New Zealanders like Lushes or early morning drinkers? There's there's some drinking culture in New Zealand, which is perhaps more or even more robust than drinking culture in America. That's Um, given the context I've been in. That's saying a lot. Uh, Well, you so you were. I don't know what the drinking culture was like in the philosophy department at MIT, but I would imagine that was not particularly hard drinking. Um, not not super hard drinking. Um, uh, definitely less than in the philosophy department at Auckland University. Okay. Where I studied before I came to the U.S. I'm learning quite a bit about at least the drinking culture in New Zealand. I need to go visit. Well, our bars don't shut down at like... What is it? One thirty in the morning or whatever. The Boston bars shut yeah. down, um, and we tend to start at five rather than starting at ten. So you've got like <laughs> five, five until three or four in the morning sometimes. Uh, but that was, you know, that's a long time ago. That's uh, more than twenty years ago almost. Time flies. Yeah. 
Well, I'm sure my I, li my liver couldn't <laughs> take it now, but I, I'm sure that my liver is very happy that I moved uh, <laughs> to this part of the U.S. Now, did you uh, come straight to MIT from New Zealand? I did. I did. And so let's back up a step. You are a philosopher, mm -hmm. uh, and actually, I want to get to your background in philosophy uh, and, and, and your origin story as a philosopher in a moment, but one thing I, I was thinking about in anticipation of this interview is that I don't identify as a psychologist so much as a social psychologist, mm -hmm. and so, and so uh, psychologists often have these very specific subdisciplinary affiliations, so cognitive psychologist, social, developmental but it's not as clear to me that mm -hmm. that happens in philosophy where uh, you, I mean, I know that there's analytical versus continental, mm -hmm. but beyond that, I don't get a sense that there are these specific areas that are really like a professional identity. Is, is that the case? So I do think that um, philosophers more than some academic disciplines um, like to reach across and through yep. the different subdisciplines. So. Um, I'm primarily in um, metaphysics, epistemology, and feminist philosophy, but um, I still sometimes will engage in areas that are not my um, primary area of, of um, study. Yeah. And in fact, actually, what we're going to talk about today is has not been my traditional training and yeah. it's something that I've come into um, more recently. So I don't feel like we're sort of siloed into our disciplines in philosophy. For, I mean, for better or for worse. Sometimes it's just that philosophers think that they know everything, so therefore <laughs> they can talk about um, things that are outside of their specialized sub-discipline. Well, we have, uh, as we I'm have sure our, you've, you've we, experienced as philosophers well, yeah. coming to uh, psychology talks. Well, we, we, in psychology, <laughs> we in psychology have our fair share of hubris as well, so uh -huh. I don't know that that's the distinguishing factor, but... I mean, I, it's I, a particular kind of philosophical hubris. Touche. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think every discipline has its own version. Mm -hmm. So, so in economics and especially econ mm -hmm. econometrics, there is this kind of, uh, and I'm, this is a gross caricature, caricature that will get me in trouble with my economist fr uh, friends. But the idea is, well, with instrumental variables analysis, we can address causal uh -huh. questions mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, mm -hmm. but, but I mean, I, I guess what I'm wondering about with this idea of identity is even though I recognize that you have areas that you specialize in such as metaphysics mm -hmm. I wonder if you think of it as an identity for me when I say that I specialize in social mm -hmm. cognition or I specialize in social psychology I, I'm not usually just saying I do this but rather I am this kind of psychologist and I wonder if it feels like an not, identity not for no um, I don't think that metaphysics and epistemology feels like an identity insofar as any of my sub-disciplines uh, feel like an identity feminist philosophy would be yeah. the only thing that would be comparable Interesting. to that um, you know I'm a I'm a feminist philosopher even when I'm talking about dispositions okay but I'm not necessarily a metaphysician when I'm talking about um, slurs Okay. Okay. Although I am still interested in those in those questions as well, questions of metaphysics of gender, yep. uh, metaphysics of race. Now, and as a footnote to listeners, uh, unless I'm mistaken, when you say dispositions, you may mean something different from <laughs> how sorry, psychologists. Is, but but that'll be another be, episode. Another uh, episode. I don't know that we need to do an episode on dispositions. <laughs> um, although, uh, depending on which questions you ask me, uh, I, I will probably use okay. some examples from. 
that so dispositional properties are properties uh, like uh, fragility of the glass that I'm holding at the moment. Um, and it's interesting. It's an interesting kind of property because it um, at once seems like a property that the glass has, yeah. but it's also something about how the glass would behave under certain circumstances. Yeah. Um, so it would shatter if if um, dropped, okay, struck, or if a soprano sung a very high note. I'm not a soprano. Neither am um, I. <laughs> so um, those are those sorts of properties. Okay. Well, I will be eager to see if that comes up. Uh, how so? But but moving in the direction of that, uh, as I said, I want to get a sense of your origin story and philosophy. So, in a nutshell, how did you become a philosopher? So I was a, a science and math nerd. Although I also had a lot of other interests in uh, writing. At one point, I wanted to be an author. And another point, I wanted to be a fashion designer. Another point, I wanted to be an architect. And then I wanted to be an engineer. And then I wanted to be a physicist who works at NASA. Um, <laughs> all of these different different things. And uh, I was did very well in math in um, elementary school. And uh, I got accelerated through a couple of years. And um, they would give me these logic puzzles to work on, um, just basically to shut me up because I was a bit of a pain. Um, when I finished my, my work early, and so I loved doing these logic puzzles. So when I got to university and I was looking at doing um, science and, and math, doing physics and, and mathematics, um, I also wanted to do philosophy because I wanted to do more of this logic stuff. Um, and then, you know, as I went through, I did end up getting a, um, a math de degree um, in conjunction with my philosophy degree. Um, I found that actually a lot of the questions that I was interested in in physics and math were actually questions that were better addressed in philosophy. Hmm. Um, so I sometimes teach um, some work in philosophy of mathematics um, as well as teaching logic and then also teaching uh, metaphysics, epistemology and feminism. I get to do all of these things as opposed to being siloed. I guess that's one of the things that I really like about philosophy and about teaching at a liberal arts right. college um, at Bates. Um, that we get to do this whole uh, big swath of things um, that I might have been, if I'd become a physicist, I might have been a bit more siloed. Yep. We have, uh, as, uh, as you know, our math colleague Meredith Greer teaches a course on roller coasters. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of opportunities yep. to engage. Uh, maybe, we'll do a maybe we'll do a course on the philosophy of roller coasters at some point. <laughs> Sure uh, well, like. I could teach a course on the philosophy of Muppets, so I do have. That's right. I do have some scholarly work. I am actually on. Uh, I, I'm listed as a Muppetologist, <laughs> which is you know it's one of my areas of, of research. I don't put it on my CV when I send it to the dean of faculty for yeah. our uh, yearly reviews, but uh, it's certainly um, out there as one of my areas of specialization. So maybe not roller coasters, but maybe Muppets. The reason that we are talking uh, is you have an interest, a scholarly interest in mm -hmm. slurs. Yes. Uh, can you talk about what drew you to the study of slurs? Yeah, so I didn't work in philosophy of language. In fact, actually, most philosophy of language that was done at MIT was... Um, well, not my cup of tea. Okay. We'll put it, we'll put it that way. Um, Why not? Too abstract uh, or? Too abstract and um, very technical. There was yep. a bit of 
um, also status, I think, mm -hmm. um, attached to it. Like it was the hard stuff that the, yeah. that, the, that, the, that, the, that the smart people did. Mm -hmm. And like I, like, I didn't like that way of sort of thinking about um, different areas of philosophy. Yep. Um, I, I find that often those are uh, sometimes tinged with some um, sexism often. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> the areas that women tend to be interested in are not as hard as the yep. one that uh, certain kinds of men tend to be interested in. Yep. So I didn't, didn't particularly, I didn't particularly find uh, that kind of philosophy of language all that interesting. But then uh, one year I went to um, a conference, one of our um, national conferences, and uh, I, I met someone um, over drinks, and uh, he said, I'm, I'm giving a talk tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. on Saturday. Like, I think it was even maybe the night after there was like a reception and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and he said, I'm, I'm worried no one's going to come to my talk. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'll come to your talk. I can get up. For a 9 a.m. Uh, you know, and yes, you're a New Zealander, so you're well trained in drinking and then getting right up and getting <laughs> yeah. back to work the next day. I don't know. I've been here for a very long time. I'm not sure I'm quite as well trained as I used to be. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm not as well trained as I used to be. Um, so I went along to his talk, and actually, no, I found it's like, oh, it's got philosophy of language, and I'm not going to find this very interesting. Um, but actually, I found this, I found it to be very interesting, and. Um, I started thinking... It was, it was about slurs. It was about slurs. Um, it was particularly about uh, racial slurs. Mm -hmm. And um, I started thinking about, like, uh, there are claims made about um, slurs that are applied to women. And it's sort of assumed that, and not really argued for, that the work that's done on racial and ethnic slurs is going to translate over with no problem to slurs that are used women but I couldn't sort of see a way to um, fit the the different kinds of frameworks that there were there were on offer um, to explain those words and so I started to to think more about slurs used for women so these are slurs like slut and bitch mm -hmm. uh, uh, two of the words that I'm primarily um, focused on um, and they just weren't able to be uh, explained within the framework and so I started thinking more about well what really is a slur um, and are these words slurs and um, are there you know some interesting things that have been overlooked because we've been because philosophers have been focused on certain paradigm cases of uh, racial and ethnic slurs so then what is a slur ah, so i don't think that there is a good definition that's out there. I don't have a good definition yet. I think it's easiest to point to those paradigm cases because I think we're still at the point where we're puzzling through like what is a slur? Why is it important to label some words as slurs and some words as not, not as slurs? Um, so some people do think that there is a definition. So uh, a lot of this work starts off making uh, a distinction uh, between slurs and insults. And so slurs, uh, this work thinks most philosophers think are words that um, apply to people because of particular social demographic perhaps groups um, and uh, paradigm cases are the n-word or um, the name for a certain Washington uh, sports team um, or a slur for um, 
uh, gay men. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are sort of par- paradigm cases. By that you mean, I guess, the F word. The F word. Well, <laughs> yes. Um, there are so many F words, though. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so you've got to. You've got to. Uh, I mean, you could say the F word. That's that's a paradigm slur, I suppose. Would well, be. So and so, um, you're talking about the word faggot. Yes. Okay, and so maybe. We can come back to if there's more you want to elaborate on. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going to come back to the definition, but uh, let's talk about mention versus use. Mm-hmm. And so, I would argue that uh, it's, and some might disagree with this, of course, but I would argue that it is acceptable in the context of this podcast for me to refer to the word "faggot" so that it's clear mm-hmm. what we're talking about, yes. uh, and that that mention of it is different from my using it. So if I were uh, referring to someone who's gay in an insulting manner uh-huh. and wanted yes. to use that term, that would be use. Yep. So I personally find that distinction between mere mention as say in a classroom discussion where uh, within reason I would permit students and myself to use the word faggot or even the word nigger in the context to of a discussion. The word. To, 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 uh, yes, thank you, to mention the word but I would not ever sanction its use. Do you find that distinction between mention and use uh, to be useful? Yeah, so um, I do. So I teach a lot of logic, and in, uh, in my logic classes, I um, have to make uh, very clear this distinction between talking about things and then the names that we use to talk about things. So use and mention isn't just a useful distinction when you're talking about bad words. Right. It's also um, uh, a very important uh, distinction for philosophers. Um, now, I do think that it's also an important distinction when we're talking about slurs. So there is, a, I think, a clear difference between mentioning a slur and using a slur. That said, I don't think that that gives me license to mention whatever slur I happen to want to mention. Um, I think that there, uh, while it is while it is disputed, I think there are uh, um, very um, clear, strong opinions um, that are very easy to learn about uh, from members of the black community that um, prohibits the mentioning of. Uh, the n-word in a more direct way than just the n-word um, by a white person and, and of course podcasters can't see me but I am a white New Zealander um, and so I'm not I'm not a I'm not a person of color and I'm certainly and not for those an listeners African who don't know I am an African-american <laughs> so it, it, when I when I when I mention the word nigger yeah. It's, I, I'm not a white person sitting here yeah, doing so that. That's, so I think there's very, even though I think I perform a quite a different speech act if I were to mention mm-hmm. the N-word in a less elliptical way than I do, yeah. um, I do think that uh, we're doing quite different things if you mention it versus right. I mention it. Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I would say that for me, um, I don't know if it's the opposite of the converse, but for me... I feel that I don't have license in this conversation to mention uh, the C word. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those who've seen mm-hmm. uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm and have seen the Beloved Ant episode, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen that one. 
no, I have in the no. Beloved Ant episode, um, Larry David is responsible for uh, putting an obituary in the newspaper for uh, his aunt who's passed away. And the headline is supposed to refer to Beloved Ant. <laughs> But there's uh -huh. a mistake where a C uh -huh. is, sub is substituted for the A. Mm -hmm. And so uh, even though in that elliptical way is in telling the story or in referring to the mm -hmm. C word, I feel that that mention may be okay. Mm -hmm. In this episode, I am not going to actually mention the word. I feel that mm -hmm. as a man, I don't feel licensed to do that. But I would presume that, for, that you would have that license as a woman. Um, perhaps. So uh, I think the C word is a difficult case. So I don't think that it is um, similar in enough senses to words like slut and bitch. I do feel like I have um, license to mention those, those words. Um, the C word is, I, I think, clo closer to being an insult. Hmm. And the reason why we ought not to use it or maybe mention it is different from reasons why perhaps we ought not mention um, other words. Can you elaborate? So the word uh, has origin in disgust about women's sexual organs mm -hmm. sexual parts. It's an insult, but it's not specifically referring to women as women. So it's mm -hmm. insulting because it has this connection to women's sexual organs and and the reason why it's a bad word has to do with disgust about women. Is it a direct analog but to But it using... doesn't refer to women. So it's it's not exactly the same as like as slut or bitch. Maybe women still have the right to grant license to mention or not mention. Mm -hmm. Um uh, in the same way that uh, black Americans have the right to grant license or not license to mention um, the N-word. So it, it may have those similarities, yeah. but it's not, it doesn't seem to me to be a slur. Um, now, this might just be because I come from, you know, uh, an Anglo-British background mm -hmm. uh, where the C-word is used to refer to everyone. Sure, sure. Any, anyone and everyone. Sure. So it doesn't seem to be a slur, particularly for women. Is it identical, um, at least in the features to which you've referred, to using uh, the word pussy as an insult, say for one man to call another man who's mm. not living up to some set of presumed standards of manhood mm -hmm. a pussy? The idea is it's referring to female genitalia uh, and, and, and invoking them as something negative. Yeah. And so the comparison is intended well, to be seems, an insult. It seems, and, and there, I, there I'm mentioning it. Um, as did uh, I. It seems, it seems a little bit different, although still, still very similar. So um, what's insulting there is not just the, um, the etymology discussed towards women's sexual parts. Um, it has to do with um, also thinking that women are weak and men are weak when they're when they're like in some way like women. So right. there's the insult um, of using that word as opposed to using the c word is is different. But then there's a, there's a difference I think in in the 
degree of prohibition of using or mentioning yeah. or any of these words. And my um, intuitions yeah. clearly reflect that in yes. that I, in this conversation, am, am going mm-hmm. to do all I can to avoid mentioning the C word. Yeah. But I did feel, and I stand by this, for reasons that I can't fully articulate, it feels, I don't feel the same need to abide by a prohibition against my uh, mm-hmm. mentioning uh, what would otherwise be the P word. Yeah. So, I, I, I don't know what's be, going on there, at least with my intuitions. Mm-hmm. I would be more uh, in favor favor of um, reclaiming the P word. Uh-huh. Reclaiming pussy. So, the pussy hat. So, we're, stru- we're actually right. surrounded here by um, knitting yarn. Um, <laughs> I have a lot of yarn. I do not have any pink yarn, and I did not make a pussy hat uh, for the Women's March. But... Um, that is an instance of the word being sort of rec- seeming to be reclaimed, um, or at least people trying to to reclaim it. Um, and women it, and I, to reclaim it. I assume it wouldn't have worked to call them. Well, I mean, I guess there are a couple of reasons it wouldn't have worked to call them c-word hats mm-hmm. because that's also not referring to to an animal. Yes, that can yeah, because be, they have little ears. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But even if even if there were a way, I don't think that I, I, yeah. it seems to me that there's something. I, I guess I'm trying to figure out why it is that, according to my intuitions, the c word or, or mentioning it seems worse. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's the percussive sound of it that actually makes it seem mm-hmm. more negative. Mm-hmm. You're nodding in response to that. Yeah, I think that actually sometimes a lot of our um, reasons why we think that uh, a, a word is derogatory has to do with the sound of it, whether we could hiss the word. Huh. Um, so um, I talk in some of my work about um, whether um, uh, calling someone promiscuous could be, you know, is that similar to calling them a slut? Uh, is it also derogatory? And I think part of what's, part of what's different is that it's a bit harder to hiss promiscuous woman. Like, it just sounds kind of ridiculous. Whereas <laughs> to say slut with that sort of um, tone. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you can do this with uh, words that are not slurs, right? And um, Robin Jeshian, who's, who is a philosopher who writes on slurs, points out that, um, you know, you can say Jew with the right tone of voice. And it seems like it at least takes on something slur-like. Interesting. Um, and, yeah. So, and that actually, that segues to one of the other questions I had, which I think takes us back to the, the definitional uh, issues. Mm-hmm. And that is, uh, based on uh, the article of yours that I've read, uh, my understanding is that prior accounts of uh, uh what constitutes a slur. Assume that slurs are negative mm-hmm. or pejorative references to a category where there is a neutral correlate. There mm-hmm. is a neutral way of referring to that yeah. category. So, for example, whereas Jew is arguably the neutral category in referring to that category, uh, kike would be a slur. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is uh, the slur has a neutral counterpart that names that group in a non-negative way. But my understanding is that you have some concerns about that account. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah, so a, uh, a lot of uh, accounts, most most accounts, in fact, um, 
that are out there in philosophy um, of what a slur is um, almost take it to be definitional, if not actually take it to be definitional of a slur, that they have this neutral counterpart. So, uh, and sometimes the having of the neutral counterpart is taken to be what explains why this word is derogatory. Yeah. So, um, Elizabeth Camp thinks that um, uh, it's in virtue of having this other non-offensive way to refer to a group that the slur actually becomes a slur because it's sort of the non-preferred way. It's because you're choosing sort of a, a way that is... Um, not respectful to refer to a group that actually it becomes derogatory. Um, so if you didn't have a neutral counterpart, then a word would not be a slur. Um, and um, a neutral counterpart is um, a word that, and people also don't really define what they mean by neutral counterpart, which is something I wrestle with in that mm -hmm. um, article. Um, so a neutral counterpart, roughly, is a way to pick out exactly the same group of people that the slur, in some sense, picks out, mm -hmm. um, but without the um, what it what, without whatever makes the word the slur derogatory. Yep. Okay. So I don't think that that exists for a word like slut. Right. Um, I don't think that there is a, a neutral way to pick out um, exactly the same people that the word picks, supposedly picks out, um, or that people, misogynistic people who use it, um, are trying to refer to. Is that because there's a value judgment baked into the, the slur? Yeah, so it, you, you might try to sort of search for um, a neutral counterpart, like promiscuous or... You might want to say, oh, well, isn't it a woman who, like, sleeps with more men, people than average, right? Um, something, something like that. So there's sort of, you know, some kind of way that, you know, is very descriptive, that's very definite, that would pick out particular people. But the word slut is not used in that way. So it's used to refer to women who um, don't, behave sexually in the way that you want them to right. or right. that you that the person who's using it believes um, deserve particular um, sexual treatment right. so um, women can be called a slut when they've had no sex at all right. when they've just you know they happen to wear a turtleneck to work right. uh, and it happens to highlight uh, their breasts you know they can be called um, a slut for imagined um, sexual uh, actions uh, for who they want to sleep with um, they there is no sort of definite like it's this particular number of people right it's it's is it an appropriate number of people is this woman behaving appropriately and the sort of appropriateness judgment that seems to um, underlie any supposed neutral counterpart um, is actually part of what's offensive in the slur. So it contributes to the derogatory content. Offensive um, or objectionable, because you draw a distinction between <laughs> those two. I do. Um, so actually, so I just I draw this, this distinction in the footnotes. Thank you for reading the footnotes. Of course. Um, I draw this distinction in the article in part because I think people get very confused about offensiveness, and so I want a way to uh, talk about offensiveness. Um, that doesn't invite certain misunderstandings. So I don't think that just because people have this 
reaction that they label I'm, I'm offended by that that they're that actually it's it's offensive um, so in, but instead of saying that because I think it's kind of um, misleading I will use the word objectionable in writing but this is I was calling that offensive because actually I do think that offensiveness is this um, it's not that it's a more it's not more objective but it's not determined by people's actual reactions um, so um, you might have a particular social situation where no one is offended by somebody using the n-word uh, because you know you're at a at a clan meeting. Clan meeting, yeah. yeah. Um, that doesn't mean it's not offensive. Well, I will say at a clan meeting, like if we were white guys at a clan meeting, and I you actually use the fr or use you the phrase the n-word, they might be offended. <laughs> might be offended. Like, <laughs> come on, Bubba, just say, just say it. But anyway, yeah. Um, and and similarly, I don't. Think oh, and, and I apologize to any listeners who are named Bubba who are actually progressive. <laughs> I'm sorry for besmirching your good name. Um, so someone might um, be offended by your uh, use of that name in your example, but um, it's not clear that it's, well, I mean, maybe it is offensive. Um, <laughs> but there are, other, there are other cases where people can be, have this feeling of offense, but actually uh, the thing that was done was not offensive. So this is where I get to talk about dispositional properties. <laughs> so um, one of my favorite dispositional properties is poisonous. Okay. Right? So something can be poisonous, even though it doesn't poison anyone. You know, you take the antidote when you, when you have it. So, you know, the, you, there's, there's some way in which you weren't affected by the poison, or maybe your immune system is just particularly strong, and so you weren't, um, you weren't poisoned by it. So something could be poisonous even if you don't get poisoned by it. You can also die from something that isn't poisonous, right? right? So the effect can happen even without the um, the cause. Uh, you could you could be you could choke on an ice cube, mm -hmm. right? So an ice cube isn't poisonous just because it happens to kill you. So um, we can have the um, effect of being offended without the thing being offensive. Okay. Um, and the thing could be offensive without someone being offended, even though there is a there is a connection between being offended and things being offensive, um, but it's not as tight a connection as some people assume. So that's why I sometimes like to use the word objectionable because it sounds more objective than offensiveness, which sort of invites you to think just about this subjective feeling that I don't think explains everything about derogatoriness or offensiveness or yeah so on your account is objectionableness solely a property of the object being evaluated such as mm, the slur good question no so language doesn't exist in a vacuum um, like maybe the poisonousness you know is is what philosophers would call an intrinsic property of yeah. the um, the object yeah um, what the the poison poisonous thing um, although I think that's even possibly something that's up for question um, uh, language isn't offensive or objectionable in a vacuum um, mm -hmm. it has to do with um, historical patterns of sure. of use and it does sure. have to do with how it makes people feel right. it's just that it's not fully determined right by 
by that in all cases. Well, and even poisonousness or lethality more generally yeah. is not uh, yes. solely a property mm-hmm. of the object because yeah. it depends on the species yep. interacting mm-hmm. with it. Yes. So, uh, but in any case, let's not go much farther <laughs> down this rabbit hole of definition. I want to I come back up. and. Oh, but I'm a philosopher. De- definition is my game. Yeah, but I'm a podcaster, and so <laughs> making sure the audience stays engaged is my game. Um, so one of the things that you said earlier reminded me of, is it Lavelle Anderson? Mm-hmm. Reminded me of uh, some of his work. And uh, it's been so many minutes, I don't recall exactly what it was you said. Maybe as I talk it through, it'll Oh, come I back. said something about prohibitions. You did, actually. And so, oh yeah, and, and you referred to... When we were talking about use and mention. Yes, exactly. And, and you referred to the, the prospect of, say... African Americans being in a position to license mm-hmm. mentioning of uh, the word nigger or nigga, and we can perhaps, if we have time, get into the difference between those two. Uh, and I look forward to how you're going to wrestle <laughs> with the elliptical references. So, in word, soft Oh, okay, okay, you prepared for this. <laughs> but so, I was listening to a podcast by Mayusha Cherry, uh, the un- mm-hmm. unmuted podcast. Um, and Cherry interviewed Anderson, and they were discussing slurs. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he advanced this idea, which I'm sure you're already familiar with, uh, but it was an introduction to his idea for me, uh, this idea that there are communities of practice mm-hmm. that can license the mention, uh, or perhaps even use, I don't know, but certainly the mention of a particular slur, mm-hmm. but that that licensing, or in opposition, the prohibition is localized. And he gave mm-hmm. an example of uh, a white rapper, and I don't recall her name, but Be she, nasty, I think. Yeah, it was something that was yeah, yeah. it was something nasty. I couldn't remember if it was P, B, or, I think or D. I think it was B, but I'm I'm not entirely sure. I'm not familiar with her music. I will look it up, uh, and I'll add, add a link uh, to the podcast episode page. But um, um, Ms. Nasty. Um, uh, had close relationships with a group of African Americans, and in that in that community, uh, her use or her mention, even as a, a white woman of uh, the N word, was permitted. Mm-hmm. But she moved to she performed in a different community. I think it was Oakland, and people reacted negatively to her mm-hmm. performing and mentioning uh, that term, uh, and her black friends came to her defense and the reaction was essentially well who are you to speak for us and so that demonstrated that even if mention is licensed in one context it's not uh licensed uh elsewhere i I wonder if you find that notion of localization of licensing and prohibition to be compelling yeah so um i do think that that is a reason why you can't tell me um, when we're recording this for a podcast, Lauren, you can mention the N-word in a non-elliptical way. It's no, annoying. No, no, no. In, in my podcasting license, it says, I am licensed to speak for all African Americans. So on our behalf. I don't know that you can say that and actually get the, that kind of authority. Um, actually, so. I, I know that I can't. <laughs> um, so it, it would not... You're licensing me, even if you say, look, you know, I'm going to induct you. I hereby dub you <laughs> an honorary member of uh, 
my speech community yeah. and we can do this in private. It's yeah. not going to necessarily um, travel. I do think that uh, language has, um, what language is appropriate can be licensed within particular relationships, yeah. um, but that doesn't travel. Um, Tanahasi Coates has this really great example where he talks about, um, you know, he has this negotiated, well, no, negotiated makes it sound very formal. Um, there is this practice of him and his wife calling each other honey. Yeah. But then some random woman on the street right. can't just come up and call him honey. And he yeah. uses this to um, sort of explain why maybe white people shouldn't sing along to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to to words where, uh, to songs where um, the n word is is used, yeah. um, you know we have negotiated um, language within relationships yeah. all the time. My partner has explicitly prohibited me from using any you know wor- uh, term of endearment which ends with the word bear, like. The animal bear. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, it's, 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 that's an agreement between me and him. And he said, I do not want that. Do not, do, do not use that. <laughs> it is, uh, it's not something that, um, that I approve of. And so my then, um, doing that would show that I don't really respect him. Yeah. And similarly, I think, um, where a community, where there have been enough people in a community who have expressed a desire for um, a word to not be used yeah. in referencing them, it's it is disrespectful to to use that now. That's or said, even to mention it. Or even mention. Well, it depends on. I think there has to be a different, um, an extra prohibition. Like mentioning is a different act. Mm-hmm. It's a different act that then has to be also prohibited yeah. in this case. Now. Um, so uh, Anderson has this really interesting um, view where uh, it's the prohibition that makes the word derogatory, right? Mm-hmm. So the word, the slurs slow, become derogatory um, because they are prohibited words. Yeah. Um, now, it's sort of, and I've done this in, in print as well, it's this sort of this very quick way that one might sort of worry that one might raise about this view um like it sort of makes the pro the prohibiting of the word look kind of irrational because the pro the derogatoriness comes from the prohibition it's not that the word is prohibited because it's derogatory so what are the reasons on which it's prohibited well there it's not because it's derogatory. It has to be some other reason. Mm-hmm. And so people worry that this account gets it around the right, wrong way. Um, but what I do think that it gets right is that um, if you're respecting a, a group, um, you ought to take their prohibitions very seriously. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean, of course, that um, a group prohibiting a word is enough to make it a slur. So, um, when I was a teenager in New Zealand, there was this big kerfuffle about um, the word Pakeha. Um, and that uh, is a Māori word um, that is used actually in a lot of official documents now, and census and things like that, to refer to um, uh, white New Zealanders. Mm-hmm. And 
the white New Zealanders when I was a teenager raised this big um, issue about this because there was this belief that it was a slur, that it meant something like white pig. Mm -hmm. And so it was a non-preferred way to refer to white New Zealanders. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it's enough, that that is enough to make it a slur. Now, just because it's a non-preferred way, there wasn't... Uh, if there, if indeed, and it seems like from my, my research since, that there isn't any evidence that it actually meant white pig, that it was meant in this derogatory way, um, and now it is actually used and there isn't sort of this up, uproar about it. Um, I don't think that the fact that New Zealand, white New Zealanders preferred New Zealand European as a term, as opposed to Pākehā, um, but that made Pākehā a slur. Now, of course, it, there's some sense in which it's kind of, maybe it feels a little disrespectful to not, like, listen to a group and say, well, look, I don't want this this word to be, to be used, um, in the same way that it's disrespectful for me to use snuggle bear or something like that mm-hmm. as a term of endearment for mm-hmm. my partner. That would be disrespectful because mm-hmm. he said that he doesn't want that. For the um, record, that was mere mention, not that use. Was, that was definitely... Um, <laughs> In case yeah. he listens to this. Yes, which he, which he may do, we'll see. Uh, maybe, maybe I won't let him. Um, <laughs> oh, no, actually, Michael didn't... didn't uh, actually, I have actually... Uh, got permission from him to mention it in print. Ah, like, actually, okay. Not, not the full, I, the, to mention the example in print. Gotcha. Um, so I've at least got that license. Um, so I don't think that that makes Pākehā a slur. I don't think we're going to look at the reasons why um, white New Zealanders sort of started to believe that um, this was... We're going to look at the full context of why they were prohibiting, wanting to prohibit the word. And word. why do they want because, to be... Because it's a Māori word. And because why do they... Not why... A, it's not their word and they didn't want like any extra sovereignty in language granted to Māori New Zealanders. Um, and and why, why did the white New Zealanders want to be New Zealand Europeans? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so they felt that their European heritage was very important. And they also felt that, like, European is synonymous with white. If you're thinking that, then you've probably got some um, problematic issues yeah. like, that might lead you to support nationalistic things yeah. that are happening in Europe right now. Like, you know, that, that European... It's like thinking that America is white yeah is a white country i'm imagining make new zealand great again hats yeah now. yeah um thankfully we don't we're not at that stage which is not to say that there mm. isn't a lot of problematic yeah. um racism in new zealand politics um yeah. so this might be a good time to take a break Yes. Um, and I'm going to at least refill my glass, and then we will continue. Sounds good. While we're on break, I wanted to take a moment to thank those of you who are already supporters of Tatter. Your support means a great deal to me. Although this podcast is a labor of love, 
there is labor involved, and so I appreciate your willingness to try to help make that investment of time a little more worthwhile and to also help offset the financial costs associated with production, including for an episode such as this one, the purchase of bourbon. Your support is also a tangible indication to me that you value Tatter, and that means a lot. For those of you who also value Tatter but are not yet supporters, but are interested in becoming one, please visit tatter.fireside.fm slash tatter support. On that page, you'll be able to learn more about how you can support Tatter through either your Amazon.com purchases of books, instant video, or digital music, or you can become a Patreon patron. But note, those of you who are current students at the college where I teach should not offer financial support for ethical reasons. But for the rest of you, come on in, the water's fine. Whether or not you become a financial supporter, I appreciate your listening to this podcast. And speaking of listening, I want to now let you get back to the second half of my conversation with Lauren. Okay, so uh, we are back. Cheers again. All right. And so uh, there are multiple directions that I want to go, but I think I want to start with Muppet. (laughs) <laughs> but not, I think, Muppet in the sense uh, that... Well, actually, if you're capable of a brief aside on this, we'll see. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I am a philosopher. Uh, as briefly as you can, even though it's not... It's going to be a divergence, I think, from our conversation about slurs. But since you are a Muppetologist, uh, what makes a Muppet a Muppet? Um, so I think a Muppet uh, is a dispositional property. Okay. It's... Um, uh, partially dispositional, anyway. It's being um, a appropriately um, licensed with sort of a historical um, uh, connection to Jim Henson, mm-hmm. um, appropriately licensed puppet character mm-hmm. that is disposed towards absurdity. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have. Uh, this kind of character disposition towards being absurd. Now, some Muppets are absurd, like um, Gonzo will, you know, shoot himself into the audience mm-hmm. uh, through a cannon. It's kind of absurd. But then there are other characters like Sam the Eagle who are absurd in their straightness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that all I think that all cases of Muppets are now. Not not that there aren't challenges to my to this so theory. Ask, is Big Bird a Muppet? Um, no, Big Bird is a little bit too too much pathos. Like his, his yeah. central character is um, is not about being absurd. Yeah. Uh, whereas, um, um, so there are other uh, characters on Sesame Street. So it's not just the Muppet Show um, where those characters are absurd. Um, so Oscar the Grouch is pretty absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is a character on Sesame Street, so it's not just being on a Muppet sh- on the Muppet Show yeah. that gets you to be a Muppet. Gotcha. So, without naming her, um, according to my um, Irish by birth, UK by upbringing, mm-hmm. uh, ex-girlfriend, I could at times be yes. a Muppet. But yes. she did not mean Muppet in the same no. sense. I took her yeah. to be referring to me at those moments as perhaps contemptible and perhaps mm-hmm. in particular uh, being stupid in a way. 
being uh, a bit useless, I think, is, okay, fair enough. is sort of the the something that captures the the um, the meaning when people use this as an insult. Am I right then that Muppet is an insult but not a slur? Uh, yes, you're right. Um, I I think it is more on on the scale of things. It is closer to asshole, mm-hmm. as, as Americans would say, asshole. Well, or asshole, asshole. Where, where, where I'm from in Arkansas. Uh, right. So uh, it's closer to asshole than it is to um, to the N word or even to to slut and bitch. Um, it and in fact, I use the um, the insult version of Muppet in my work to mm-hmm. sort of work towards this definition. That um, I think that this is a sort of metaphorical use where it takes. It's not like appealing to the whole definition, but it has to do with like being disposed towards being a little bit absurd, um, maybe a little bit useless. Um, Like to capture that metaphorical use, um, that's why I think you actually have to have that that as the definition of Muppet in in the usual non-metaphorical use. And just a couple of other examples to clarify clarify my understanding of the limits of slurness or slurhood. Slurness, slurhood. I don't know. I don't the quality know. of being a slur, but in any case, um, so slurrelliousness. Yeah, I can't. I, 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 I think you're slurring a bit as you say that. <laughs> that's, that's the maker's mark talking. Um, so, if I refer to either an academic or perhaps mm-hmm. a philosopher in particular as an egghead, is that mm. a slur? No, I think that's... Yeah. Really? So, yeah, I, I um I don't think that we have a clear understanding of what uh, a slur a slur is. I'm not okay. even sure that there is like this sharp sharp boundary. I would think that egghead is more towards the not exactly at asshole but closer to the insult side. Now that that said, there is a um there is a category that seems to be neutrally definable, yep. um, though I think it's actually not neutrally definable. So that it's the person is um, more um, uh, overly in, overly intellectualizing things, perhaps. And of course, what fixes whether they're overly intellectualizing? It's the norms of how one ought to be. So that seems like it's not totally. Um, descriptive. So it seems slow like in, in that respect. Um, but it also feels to me more to be towards towards an insult um, than than a slur. So even if in using the term egghead to refer to academics, the person using it or mentioning it, as it were, does intend to refer to the entire category of academics. Mm-hmm. And their premise is, all of us mm-hmm. are overly uh, intellectual. That's not a slur, even though they are referring to exactly the same category of people, namely academics. It's just what, in their view, justifies, mm-hmm. uh, or, or the, the quality that justifies the use of this non-preferred referent is our universal tendency toward overthinking things that that doesn't make it a slur? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It it doesn't. It doesn't seem at, le- at least on the traditional account, not necessarily yours. On the, on the traditional account, um, perhaps it 
Perhaps it would.、Um, so not everyone agrees、um, about what、um, makes something a slur versus an insult. So、yeah. some people,、uh, so Kent Buck thinks that, seems to think that、um, slurs are、um, mean something like neutral category and despicable because of it. And some insults are similar like that: neutral category and uh, sorry, um, something and despicable. Of it, but、um, he thinks that the difference is that、uh, perhaps insults are ones where you can't sort of find that、yeah. that neutral、um, category. Yeah, I haven't I haven't thought much about egghead, so maybe I don't know whether I want to stick with my、okay. my intuition that it's definitely. Uh, that it's more towards an, an insult than a slur. So I wonder what what's driving my my intuition. This is one of well, the things it, that philosophers like to do. It's like yeah, we have know, intuitions, and then you want to you want to work out like is that a good intuition?、Yeah. Do I want to junk it? Do I want to keep it? Well, part of the、um, reason that I wanted to put this on the table、mm-hmm. is it struck me as. It's not a it's not a very good example of a slur, like、yeah. at least based on my intuitions.、Mm-hmm. But when I think about the traditional account, it's as I read it, it seems to fit.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's why I thought it would be interesting to to to、mm-hmm. explore it. But、um, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because there are other more conventional and、uh, and I think historically、uh, impactful slurs that I do want to talk about,、mm-hmm. uh, such as、uh, the slur. Uh, nigger or nigga or as you would say the N word.、Um, so, in your article,、uh, you、uh, cite the philosopher、uh, Chris Rock,、uh, <laughs> who in his uh, uh, "Bring the Pain"、um, comedy performance, which, if any listener has not seen it, they should.、Uh, he at one point draws a distinction between black people and. Niggas, and he says he loves black people, but quote, niggas have got to go. He hates、mm-hmm. niggas,、um, and I don't know if Chris has distanced himself from that piece in the way that late in his career Richard Pryor distanced himself from、mm-hmm. uh, the use、mm-hmm. or mention of、uh, the word nigger. But one of the things that I find fascinating is Chris Rock's mention implies that. Uh, the word "nigger" does not refer to all African Americans.、Mm-hmm. It, it, it refers、uh, to African Americans with a particular set of characteristics and who engage in a particular set of uh, negative uh, uh, behaviors. And so, it, it would seem that on on that view, it's not clear that there's a neutral counterpart to. To nigger because it's not referring to, and, that, and if there is a neutral counterpart, counterpart it's for rock. It's not African Americans. It's not、mm-hmm. Black Americans.、Yes. It's these particular、mm-hmm. uh, Black Americans.、Uh, and so, even though part of your interest in gender-based、mm-hmm. slurs is that they don't have neutral counterparts, and so、yep. you either have to. Um, Uh, maintain the traditional view and say, "Well, bitch and slut are not slurs,"、mm-hmm. or you have to question the、yeah. original account.、Uh, but even when it comes to racial slurs, yes,、uh, 
uh, there's that same problem, yeah. which is they don't all have clear neutral counterparts. Yeah, no, I I agree, and that is why I I use. Well, that I'm just quoting. Model. I'm just quoting yeah. you. I'm, I'm just paraphrasing <laughs> um, you. So I I think that the the starting point, this idea that um, racial and ethnic slows and slows for um, sexual identity um, have a uh, neutral counterpart that seems to me to be wrong as well. Um, yeah, of course there are racists who use the N-word to refer to all and only African Americans in their own, you know, and there are also misogynists who use the word slut to refer to all and only women mm -hmm. um, or bitch. Um, but there are, you know, so many different flavors of racism and um, not all uh, racists will use this language to to pick out all and only African Americans. Hashtag um, not all racists. Yeah, not all. <laughs> um, yeah. So sometimes people will be given a pass. It's like I, I hate those people, but you know my friend Joe. He's he's okay. He's not yeah. one of those. Um, so this and this I think is something that um, that sort of. Chris Rock is sort of commenting on that yep. that kind of that kind of uh, racism. Um, so I don't think that racial and ethnicities have um, neutral counterparts in in a non comedic context. Uh, Randall Kennedy also has a book on the N word, where he talks in part about um, this word being used at over the dinner table in um, an African American household to talk about. Um, uh, other black people who were not approved of people mm -hmm. that that um, the person using the word wanted to distance themselves from. We're we're not like we're not like them. Yep. Um, and um, so this happens, um, you know, within communities. The derogatory use is being so not all uses of this word by African Americans are non-derogatory, or mm -hmm. they're not all you know reclaimed. Um, or they're not all the sort of friendly way of referring yep. to other people. Yep. Um, the use by racists is are not to cover all and only people of this category. Um, and one of the interesting things about words like slut and bitch are actually that they they're they're used unfortunately a lot by women against other women. Um, and the, when women are using it against other women, they're certainly not meaning it to refer to all and only women. Um, like she's wearing that outfit. She looks like such a slut. That sort yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that by that they don't mean she looks like such a woman. Which is how <laughs> some people who have written males who have written about slurs when they've like offhandedly mentioned slut and bitch, they they're treating it as if its neutral counterpart is woman. And while there are people who think that all women are bitches and all women are sluts, I think that this is actually a substantive view. It's not like part of the definition yeah. of the word that um, it refers in that way. Yeah. But likely, likewise, I don't think that that is definitional um, in the racial and ethnic and sexual preference cases either. Yeah. So you referred to... Uh, reclamation or uh, I wonder if a synonym might be redemption mm -hmm. uh, of slurs where um, once upon a time... I don't know that I like redemption because it oh. sounds like you're actually saving the uses that are being... like you're redeeming the uses of the person oh. who is... 
Touche. Yeah. Touche. Okay, I will. <laughs> I will simply say, let's talk about let's talk about reclamation then, uh, where um, w- would you agree that queer is a term that has been reclaimed by the LGBTQ community? So it 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 looks that way, but it's not. It's also still not something that is um, completely uncontested. So we do have queer studies mm-hmm. in. And the, um, and the Q and LGBTQ is yeah, queer. And yes. Um, so uh, it does sort of look like it's a good instance of a, of a reclaimed word. That doesn't mean that they're, um, that the, the, whether it's been reclaimed isn't something that's sort of still, in a way, up for question. Mm-hmm. Um, but myself as, uh, as a cis straight woman, um, I have been granted. It seems like I've. It seems like I have been granted license to to use the word mm-hmm. um, in a non derogatory sense um, by a, another community, by the mm-hmm. queer community. Um, not that that isn't uncontested and yeah. Um, for listeners who don't know what it is, can you briefly describe what slut walk is mm. and and then. Do you view it in its naming as an attempt to reclaim uh, what would otherwise be a slur, uh, and that is slut? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, slut walk started in, I believe, Toronto after a um, a police officer made some comments about um, uh, someone being being a slut or appearing as a, as a slut. Um, and so it was a protest where um, women would um, protest the, the the use of the the use of the word against them. Um, they were they were protesting rape culture um, in in public. Um, women uh, would wear the clothes that they were raped in um, to participate in this in this protest. Is one sort of example. And there was it was at least in part, an effort to sort of reclaim this word. So if you reclaim a word, um, then it seems like it can't be used as a weapon against you. So that's sort of, I guess, the rough idea behind um, reclamation. Now, where I feel like slut is a little different from a word like queer, or even to some extent use of the n-word with a soft a ending mm-hmm. by african-american is that um women will more frequently use the word slut against other women in a way that uh queer people will not use the word the, in a derogatory sense right against queer now of course we just did just talk about examples where the n-word was used in a derogatory sense but that's less i think it's less common than um, for the word slut. Um, and there was some concern raised by um, a group of African-American women about slut work and about this reclamation process. And there was an open letter that was written to slut walk um, where it was basically argued that the women who were trying to reclaim the word in slut walk weren't paying attention to intersectional identity, that black women 
weren't in a position where they felt like they could walk the street and say that we're sluts and we're proud. Yeah. Um, and I think we ought to listen to them. Um, but I think we also ought to listen to women who were walking in slut walk and wearing the clothes that yeah. they were raped in. I think it's a very it's a very difficult issue. I'm personally I'm skeptical that sluts should be reclaimed. I think it actually just should just go um, as as a term. Um, I'm not sure what the use of it would the the use of reclaiming it. Would be I'm not going to have slut studies in university yeah. in the way that you might want you you want to have queer, queer studies, studies yeah right um, you want to be able to talk about queering something you it's, it's not clear that there's so we need to look about why we want to reclaim it what's the use is it just to say you know for a white sorority sisters to say to each other hey my slut you know is that is that why we want to reclaim it or is it better to listen to people who yeah. um don't I, it's it's really difficult and i don't i don't know exactly what to say so this. if i'm hearing your skepticism clearly um it's certainly uh skepticism on normative grounds where you're Mm -hmm. skeptical as you said that we should Mm -hmm. but are you also skeptical um of the efficacy uh that is Ah, even mm -hmm. if it were prudent to do so are you also Mm -hmm. skeptical that slut can be effectively reclaimed in the way that to some extent with some uh, mm -hmm. contestation queer has been yeah so um we talked earlier about uh neutral counterparts of terms and one of the things that i think might happen in reclamation is that um, one factor of reclaiming a word is actually moving the reference of the word towards a neutral counterpart so Uh um, it's not that it's sufficient it's certainly not sufficient to um for the word to move towards uh, for the N-word to move towards all and only African-Americans for mm-hmm. it to be reclaimed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's not what I'm saying. Um, but I think we have to move towards that um, to reclaim. So queer wasn't a word that was, uh, I think, had a neutral counterpart, but I think in reclaiming it, it's come to be ha- to have a neutral counterpart. Yeah. And that's at least a sort of a first step towards um, getting to that place. And I'm just not sure that we will we can find a neutral counterpart for um for slot that uh without while while still sort of retaining the historical significance of the word um moreover i think that if reclamation in part happens and i'm not certain that this is the case if um reclaimed uses happen because people recognize that the person has a particular identity that means that oh well they're probably not using it in a derogatory sense they're african-american they they're using the n-word so they're probably not using it in a derogatory sense because they're probably not self-hating in well in this way they're a queer person chris rock was using it pejoratively though yes yeah Uh, but he has had to make it particularly clear 
in the context that that was how he was intending right. to use it. Like the default, um, I think when we hear people um, use a slur that applies to them or to, to, their, to, to a category that they fall into, um, is that we, um, we do some accommodation where we think, okay, so they probably don't mean it in this derogatory yeah. sense. Um, so therefore, that what they're trying to they, do, it's recognised that the act is something that's reclaiming. I'm not sure that that can happen as easily with with slut and woman because women call each other sluts all the time, and it's not always and it's always going to be and bitch. It's not always going to be clear from the context that they're attempting to reclaim it. Yeah. Um, maybe it can be done. You know, the the imagine. People sitting around in uh, in students sitting around in commons, uh, like, "Hey, my bitches," um, you know. Maybe that context makes it clear that the attempt is to reclaim it, but it's not. I don't, just I'm just a little hesitant yeah. about it. Yeah. So, shifting gears. Um, And maybe this will begin to move us toward the end. But I want to talk with you about, at once, what's at stake mm-hmm. uh, in the mention and usage of slurs, but also why this area of study is important to you. Mm-hmm. It, it seems as if this is as much as the logic problems that brought you mm-hmm. into engagement with philosophy were fun you're not it seems to me that you're not doing this because it's just fun it's an intellectual mm-hmm. playground mm-hmm. it seems that there's more to the study of slur more to your motivation in studying slurs than that am i right and if so or what am i right or not and can you elaborate yeah um so we were talking about motivations for performers, people who make artworks that have mentions or uses of slurs in them. Um, we've got to think about that. I think philosophers also do have to think about their motivations for why they're thinking about this. There is there is some reasonably founded worry that it's a hot topic at the moment in philosophy of language and some people uh, might want to question and this is myself included that when you're engaging in this work you want to really think about are you doing this because it's this interesting case that questions the foundations of what we have thought about language huh isn't that just so intriguing you know I don't think we want that kind of motivation and I think that we all ought to think about whether that is really our motivation behind thinking about this language. And that's, you know, that's a careful amount of thought that you have to put into that because motivations are, this is another area <laughs> that I'm interested in, they're not always that, um, that obvious. Uh, I also work on desire. Um, so I think that, you know, our reasons are not always... Um, clear to us and we have to really sort of think through well what what really are the reasons why I'm interested in this in this area so as far as I've interrogated my motivations I really hope that I'm 
correct. <laughs> I'm not um, that I'm not doing this because it's a hot topic, um, and I hope that I uh, engage in this in, in a respectful way. Um, it takes me a really long time to write an article about so that's why actually I've only published one thing. Yet I get to be on a podcast and, as if I'm an expert. Um, I'm working on, on some, some other papers, but it's, it takes me such a long time because I think it's so important here to get it right in a way that I'm less, if I write a paper on dispositions, of course I want it to be a good paper, but it's kind of in a way less important that I feel like I've, I've got things right. And If the fragile glass yeah. uh, thinks that you have gotten fragility wrong, yes. it's, it's going to be okay. It's good. Well, well I mean, is be, it going to be okay? It's going to be as, 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 okay, <laughs> as okay it would have been. been. Um, yeah, whereas I think, you know, I think if I get things wrong about slurs, I, yeah. I think that's, that's more of a problem. And the reason that I'm, I'm particularly interested in sort of interrogating some of these um, assumptions that underlie work on slurs, so particularly the neutral counterpart um, assumption, is not just because I think, oh, here's this assumption, and I think, oh, it's wrong. Yeah. And here I get to like get a score a point <laughs> right. um, against people. It's like, oh, your assumptions are wrong. And yeah, that's a very philosopher thing to do. Like you've made you've you've ignored this distinction, or you're you've grounded this on this assumption, yeah. uh, which is incorrect. But I think that um, actually the this is the assumption that there is a neutral counterpart to any slur um, sort of hides some of the ways in which these words are used. Um, and are able to be used in um, in powerful derogatory ways. The way in which they're um, attached to setting up normative assumptions about how people ought to behave. So, if you're particularly thinking about slut, the uses of the word slut in the fact that they define what it is to be, what it supposedly is to be socially. I'm doing air quotes at the moment. I'm a terrible person. Um, <laughs> Uh, what it supposedly air quotes is to um, to behave appropriately sexually as a woman. Um, that very use is sort of setting up normative rules about how women ought to behave and be treated um, and be treated. Yes. Um, so I think that there, it's not just a philosopher's game. Yeah. Um, I think that there are some real really important things that we we get from thinking about how we use language against others um, and the things that we're doing with our language which isn't just describing the world our language doesn't just describe the world it licenses it yeah. um, allows things it, it sets how people ought to be treated yeah. um, and this is I think one of the interesting and important things about slurs so I know that uh, uh, references to Louis C.K. are are more troubled than they mm -hmm, used to mm -hmm. be, but I'm reminded of um, uh, a video that was linked to. Uh, by Very Bad Wizards, uh, another podcast by psychologist David Pizarro and 
Philosopher Tamler Summers, where in doing my homework for this, I wa- watched. I listened to their episode on slurs and offensive speech more generally, and they linked to um, an excerpt from uh, an episode of, I believe it was Louis C.K.'s TV show, where Louis C.K. and a group of uh, other men are around a poker table, and they're talking about the word faggot, and one of them is gay. And at one point, he points out that in response to others around the table who are implying that it's no big deal to say the word faggot, and one of whom seems to really carry around some homophobic attitudes, mm-hmm. uh, at least in his character on screen. But the, the gay character, gay male character, says that this is the word that was often said, or that mm-hmm. we gay men often heard as mm-hmm. we're being beaten to a pulp by one or perhaps multiple uh, mm-hmm. other men in a, in a gay bashing. And so it's not just for him a word that is an, that, that is an interesting phenomenon to explore in a philosophical mm-hmm. manner. It has this uh, baggage. And for me as an African-American, I would imagine that at lynchings of mm-hmm. black men, uh, when Emmett Till, you know the story of Emmett Till, mm-hmm. when Emmett Till was pulled out of his bed and horrifically beaten, I'm sure that that word was among the last ones he heard before dying, and so the word nigger. And so these slurs for the target categories, particularly when there's a history of being not just referred to in derogatory terms, but dehumanized, mm-hmm. um, has Some real power. Some women who, yeah. who are raped or assaulted, harassed, slut is a word yeah. that, is, that is like that bitch. Yeah. So there's a lot at stake mm-hmm. uh, here. And so um, um, it certainly seems to me, if I'm right in saying that this is not just an intellectual playground for you, uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe my last question is, given what's at stake, do you want your work to ultimately inform action, perhaps collective action in the service of greater social justice, or is that not something you want your work to do? There's a question about whether I, that's what I want my work to do or whether I think that that's something that my work could potentially Both questions, then. Do. Um, so, yes, I, I, would, um, I would like that. I think I would, I would in particular, um, the article that is published, um, I, would, I would like people to, to think a little bit more about, um, you know, reclamation and um, whether, you know, we want to reclaim the word slut. And um, as I said, I, I find it a very difficult question myself. So it's not that I want it to be influenced in a particular way, but I, I want people to think very carefully about issues of privilege um, within uh, women 
as a whole and you know really think carefully about um, what they're doing, why they're doing it, who thinks it's okay um, in thinking you know don't just assume that oh we we just want to do um, we want to defang the word so we're just going to go around um, using it in the supposedly non-derogatory sense with no thought about like who else is being harmed by this word yeah um, so I think I think that I would I would like that do I think that my work currently I mean my my paper is published in uh, an academic journal. Yeah. Um, I have not written at this point. Uh, I'm sure that many policymakers read it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> of course, of course they do. Um, I mean, I hope that there are some downstream effects. I'm not sure whether I am the person uh, to to write the op-ed in the Atlantic or other places that yeah. uh, uh, would. I, I do know philosophers who who are uh, better writers than me uh, who write about these issues. Mm. And, you know, maybe there's some downstream effects that I could hope for. Uh, maybe I just suck it up and... Um, it's, it's very difficult. So um, I think that people who do publicly engage philosophy and do it well are my heroes. I don't know that I am a strong enough person to do that when I see the kind of um, hatred, uh, particularly publicly engaged feminist philosophy, mm-hmm. gets. Like Martha Nussbaum. Martha Nussbaum, Kate Mann, mm-hmm. who is uh, a friend of mine who has written a wonderful book on misogyny. Um, I don't know how she deals with it. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Um, how one can be that strong a person that you can put your views out there for the kind of hate that is um, expressed on the internet, the kind of hateful comments and threats. And uh, yeah, I, I would love to be that person who could do that. And I have a lot of, safety in my position I'm uh, I'm tenured Kate is not tenured mm. um, and so she's taking on a lot of risks mm-hmm. um, doing doing this work and I think she I think she is influencing people how people think about misogyny mm. um, and I think she's very she's very brave um, in, in doing so That's it for Tatter. I want to thank Lauren Ashwell for taking the time to talk with me. She and I did not finish the bottle of bourbon, but I hope she and her partner are enjoying the rest of it. And you should check out tatter.fireside.fm and go to the page for this episode for links related to our conversation, including a link to Lauren's article, Gendered Slurs. As always, to offer feedback on this or any episode, use Twitter. The handle is at tatter underscore rags. You can also go to iTunes and post a review. Your feedback helps me do this podcast better. In any case, thanks for listening and be well.